0: 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. 10, 9. Ignition sequence start. Space Nuts. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, five four, three, two, one. Space Nuts. Astronauts reported Feels Good. Hello again and thank you for joining us on the Space Nuts Podcast. Our uh, first get together for 2018. And we welcome back from the Australian Astronomical Observatory Fred Watson. Hi, Fred.
1: Hi, Andrew, and Happy New Year to you and all your family and colleagues and the universe around you. My my
0: family is more widely distributed now. One of the things that I did over Christmas was um, kick my youngest son out and move him off to Sydney. So we're empty nesters for the first time in 29 years.
1: (laughs) Hard to believe. Hard to believe. That'll be be a shock to the system.
0: It is a real shock. You know what's strange, Fred? I still hear him around the house when i'm home by uh, myself
1: just the ghost of your son yeah you? and, so, and i
0: drive up the hill because we're on the top of a hill where we live and i i i kind of am taken aback every time his car's not there because it's always yes. there and has been yeah. for a few years but not anymore
1: yeah Sad. it's uh, it's a look it's um it's a big change and um you know probably um well you know who knows one day you might be completely infested with grandchildren so oh, that's happening already <laughs>
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah, we've got the first birthday of the granddaughter today, so... There you go. It's already happy, happening. Happy birthday, yeah. Mm. Now, today, Fred, we're going to be looking at the creation of the world's biggest telescope and they've already built some segments for it, which is very exciting. This is uh, one massive piece of equipment. Uh, one of the other things we'll talk about in a moment is this um, lunar eclipse that happens uh, at the end of this month and it coincides with a blue moon so we've got a combination of factors that haven't been seen for um, well w- well over a hundred years. And a Japanese astronaut who, <laughs> who reportedly grew nine centimetres while he was in space for three weeks, but turned out not to be quite nine centimetres, but we'll talk about that. It's an amusing story. But uh, first, Fred, let's uh, let's have a look at this lunar eclipse uh, due to happen at the end of the month and visible in the Asia Pacific region, uh, and in, that includes uh, those of us in Australia. So, this uh, lunar eclipse is always spectacular. I love them.
1: This one especially, Andrew, because um, the uh, you know it it. it Certainly from Australia, we will, most of us anyway, will see the whole eclipse. <clears throat> the, um, the, the, the the whole event from the start of the, the moon's outer, uh, I beg your pardon, let me rephrase that. <laughs> the whole event from <clears throat> the start of the Earth's outer shadow, because of course it's the shadow of the Earth that passes over the moon in a, in a lunar eclipse. Um, w- what we call the penumbra, which is the outermost part of the, Uh, of the shadow of the earth. If you were standing on the moon and the moon was in the penumbra, you'd still be able to see a little bit of the sun. Uh, Ah. It wouldn't be completely dark. Whereas in what's called the umbra, which is the deepest part of the eclipse, uh, if you were standing on the moon, you wouldn't be able to see the sun at all. Although, if you were standing on the moon during the total eclipse, what you would see is a brilliant ring of red light around the dark earth. Uh, so the Earth's in between you and the sun if you're on the moon. But the Earth's atmosphere scatters the light uh, around uh, into the shadow of the Earth. And, it, and because the scattering process uh, actually um, basically prefers blue light, blue light is scattered much more acutely than red light. And that's actually
0: why the sky is blue. So, so uh, it's a sort of a, um, a huge sunset effect.
1: It's exactly like that. That's Ah. right. It's just a a global sunset. Um, So you've got this red rim around the disk of the Earth. This is assuming you're standing on the Moon, which not many of us will be. But, uh, you know, it's a a thought experiment. Uh, But it's that that causes the red glow on the Moon, which we see from the Earth. When we see one of these total eclipses of the Moon, uh, often uh, when when uh, when the Moon is deep in the Earth's shadow... You don't just see blackness, which is what you would intuitively expect. Mm. You see this deep coppery red glow, sometimes called a blood moon. And and it's caused by this scattering of light uh, on the atmosphere. And that is something, given clear skies, that we expect to see in the eclipse on the 31st of January. And maybe I can just give some times for that, uh, Andrew. Uh, it, It does vary depending on where you are. Uh, in, um, in, in, in certainly in Australia and, and in the whole Asia Pacific uh, region, so maybe um, the, the the best thing I can do is to give you uh, two sets of times. One of which are what are called universal time, and that's effectively Greenwich Mean Time. Um, it it means the the eclipse starts at twelve fifty one Greenwich Mean Time. Uh, and that's 12.51 in the middle of the day yep. uh, and it uh, basically ends at 14.07 uh, 7 minutes past 2 in the middle of the day but of course that's Greenwich Mean Time you've got to add your time zone difference so for
0: us uh, in uh, in actually New South Wales Yeah I'm just uh, working it out in my head I think at this point in time we're uh-huh. like 11 hours ahead aren't we And That's correct because so, of daylight save So it's going to be it's
1: eleven fifty
0: eleven fifty one. Late at night.
1: Uh, exactly. Ten mm. minutes to midnight is the start of the total eclipse. That's when the when the, the penumbra uh, the, the the moon is exactly in the penumbra. And uh, seven minutes past one is when the moon comes out of the penumbra. The the partial eclipse, the, the, the penum what's called the I beg your pardon, let me say that again. <laughs> We're a bit rusty. I
0: mean, let's... Yeah, we can't.
1: that can tell you. Yes, um, two weeks off and what happens, I can't speak English. <laughs> uh, the, uh, 11.51, uh, 10 minutes to midnight or nine minutes to midnight, uh, the, the the moon will be in the umbra of the shadow of the earth. In other words, the dark part. That is when you'll see the start to see the coppery blood moon. And it comes out of that phase at seven minutes past one uh, in the morning on the first of February, so maximum eclipse is actually roughly twelve thirty half uh, half an hour after midnight that is in um, uh, uh, eastern Australian Daylight Saving Time. So that's what we have in New South Wales. Mm. Of course, if you're in Queensland, it'll be an hour earlier and, and pro- progressively across the country a couple of hours earlier. Um, uh, in fact, three hours earlier in WA. So
0: most of Australia will be able to see it in totality. Uh, New Zealand, of course, um, eastern parts of um, Europe by the look of it and northwestern parts of the United States. We'll be able yeah, to see totality.
1: That's right. There won't really be that much to see uh, from from Europe. It will be, you know, the, just the partial phase. They okay. won't see, won't see much at all. But from Eastern Asia and from uh, the far northwest of the USA and Canada, so Alaska will also see it uh, pretty low. Uh, Pretty low on the horizon from those latitudes. Yeah, uh, but we we um, get a good view. Hawaii gets a, a brilliant view as well. So uh, an interesting eclipse, and what makes it doubly interesting, and this is more a calendrical phenomenon than an astronomical one. Um, it happens on what's called a blue moon, um, and you and I, I think have talked about blue moons before. We have. Yeah. It's it's a it's a, a, a as I said, it's a calendrical. Um, uh, event rather than
0: any. It means calendar, you know, as in date. <laughs> calendrical. I think you're making that up. It's great word. <laughs> it's, Look, is it? Is it a word? Uh, well, all
1: right. Try another <laughs> one. Uh, Calendarlogical.
0: Calendar How's that?
1: That'll do. No, don't I? I like calendrical better. Yeah, that's a good one. I do it like means- it. It means, as uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening to this podcast, as Andrew said, it means to do with the calendar. (laughs) Good thing both of us are here to explain what the other (laughs) one's talking about. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so it's it's to do with the calendar, quite so. Uh, And um, there are various definitions, actually, of what a blue moon is. And I think the original definition comes from... Uh, something called The Farmer's Almanac if I remember rightly, which was an American publication, I think in the period between the wars. I, I haven't looked at this stuff for a while mm-hmm. but it was um, you know, during the early part of the twentieth century. But their definition then was that the blue moon was the third full moon of a season that has four full moons in it. <laughs> wow. Yeah, uh, I can see your I can see the wheels going Yeah, down I'm there. just trying to so mm. just think about this because so we've had a couple already yeah we have yeah, we've, yeah, blue moons are not that uncommon but this one is uh, as I'll explain very shortly when we finally get to that bit um, so, so if you think about the season an astronomical season that's to say um, you know, spring, summer, autumn, winter uh, you would normally expect because it's three months you'd normally expect there to be three full moons in that period yep. because the, the, the moon is full roughly once a month Uh, But if you've got a season that has four full moons in it, apparently the third one was called the blue moon. And that must go back to North American tradition. But it's now, the definition has now changed. It's shifted, uh, I guess, in the last uh, 40 or 50 years. And we now describe a blue moon as being uh, the second full moon in a calendar month. So if you've got a calendar month which has two full moons in it, then the second one is a blue moon.
0: Now it, that doesn't count if they're two full moons, two nights running, though, does it? Or is no.
1: It- well, that, yeah, that's a good point because um, we, you know, we tend to think of the full moon as just being this vague time around uh, part of the month, and you know, usually when you look at the moon, you, you can't tell the difference between the, the actual night of full moon and what it looks like the next the next night. But the full moon itself is defined. Very precisely, in astronomical terms, and oh, it's okay. it's when the moon is exactly opposite the sun, uh, as seen from the so earth. That only uh, would happen. So there's only one. That's yeah, right. So there's only one of those in a month. Uh, sorry, really <clears throat> there's only nice. one of those in a lunar month. Uh, but then you can, because the moon goes around the Earth in, or actually, because the interval between two full moons uh, is is twenty nine and a half days. It does mean that from time to time you can get two full moons within a month um, and that's what we call a blue moon now <clears throat> there's a peculiarity about this because on the 31st of January um, throughout uh, all of Australia except the bits where we are <laughs> uh, the the full moon occurs on the 31st of January and there was one already on the 2nd of January
0: ah so I yeah, see where you're so you,
1: going you can see where I'm going because that, that's the curiosity Uh, in Sydney and in New South Wales and in Victoria, the time zone, uh, Eastern Australian Daylight Time. Actually, the second moon is in the small hours of the morning of the 1st of February. So it's
0: not a blue moon for us. So it's not a
1: blue moon for us. No, that's right. Oh, wow. This is really (laughs) good. Yeah, it's pretty weird. But, uh, you know, for those places where it is a blue moon, uh, that is what makes this curious, because this is actually the first blue moon total eclipse uh, because the eclipse will happen everywhere that's something that's not determined by the calendar that's an astronomical phenomenon mm. but um the blue moon uh yeah so the where, where there is a blue moon and that's parts of australia other than victoria and new south wales um that that is your first blue moon eclipse for wait for it, 152
0: years my word so And and, and, and I'll add a little point to that. Uh, It does count in Queensland, even though it's on the eastern seaboard, because Queensland doesn't have daylight saving saving. time, so it'll still be the 31st of January for them. Yeah, so Queenslanders get uh, get the blue moon eclipse. And, of course, years Uh, and years ago when they voted against daylight saving, this event was the reason. That's (laughs) why. That's
1: oh, probably that's right. yeah maybe that's right yeah that's it. We, we want a to be it. blue moon yeah. <laughs> yeah all right so, so. It, yeah it's it's a, it's a you know an interesting time um, it, it's also not quite but nearly a supermoon, and a supermoon is when you've got the moon full uh, at, the, at the nearest point to the earth in its orbit um, okay you know, the the, the earth uh, sorry the moon's orbit around the earth is elongated so um, it, it has. Uh, it, it, its distance varies from the Earth and it, sometimes it's closer and sometimes it's further away. When it's at its closest we give it the technical term perigee and at perigee uh, if the perigee coincides with a full moon, we, it supermoon. Uh, we call it a super moon. Yeah, I think yeah. we had and one last year didn't we? Uh, we actually had one on the 2nd of January this year. Oh, okay.
0: Yeah, Yeah.
1: so uh, that was um, you know, the, the, the 2nd of January was the, was the super moon it's not quite a super moon Uh, on the 31st of January. Okay.
0: You're not being attacked by plovers, are you? I can hear them. Yes, that's right. (laughs) They're they're outside (laughs) complaining. They're they're trying
1: to get their heads wrapped around these astronomical things. Yes,
0: well, it it can be mind-boggling. But Who would have thunk that the moon could be so fascinating in one fell swoop like this? But uh, 31st of January into the 1st of February for some of us, but most of us will see it as a a blue moon eclipse. First one in 152 years. Uh, For those of you in in Central and Western Africa, uh, Western Europe and the UK, and in Central and Eastern uh, South oh, America,
1: <laughs> tough luck. <laughs> tough luck. <laughs> <laughs> mm. I, I guess there's, there's a conundrum in this as well, just wrapping it up finally, in that um, <clears throat> it, it will be a blue-red moon during the eclipse <laughs> because it's, it's a, the, the moon will be blood-red, Uh, But But it will be blue. So work work that one out.
0: Which makes it a purple moon. There you are. We've just renamed it. Mm. You're listening to Space Nuts with me, Andrew Dunkley, and astronomer Fred Watson. Okay, we
1: checked all four systems and Mm. came with a go.
0: Space Nuts. Okay, Fred, I'm feeling a little bit hungry right now because we're about to discuss the ELT, uh, which uh, sounds very much like one of my favourite sandwiches. But we're talking actually about the extremely large... Telescope, uh, and um, the reason it's in the news, to use your turn of phrase, is because they've started building the the darn thing, which is exciting, very exciting. Uh,
1: it is, and
0: it's um, th-
1: this is perhaps one of the big milestones in the construction of this telescope. They've, uh, there's been a lot of
0: work done already. Um, the I figured about, there would be, but yeah, what we're about, about f- to talk about probably one of the more exciting elements it it.
1: it is exactly yeah so the you know the contracts have all been laid that the top of the mountain that it will sit on in in uh, northern Chile a a mountain called Cerro Amazones uh, that's already been flattened to 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 kind of take the pointy bit off the mountain I still can't
0: get my head around the fact they've knocked the top off a mountain (laughs) (laughs) that just blows my mind
1: well, it, yeah, it, it, I mean, yeah, it, it basically is just earthworks. But it, you, you can tell um, when you look from afar at uh, Cerro Amazonis, uh, which um, I managed to do a couple of years ago, you can clearly see that the top of this mountain is flat uh, and um, that is going to be graced by the biggest astronomical telescope in the world uh, when it starts working I think 2024 is the date this is a European venture it's um, being made by the European Southern Observatory uh, which you might remember uh, Australia is now a strategic partner with the European Southern Observatory Uh, this telescope uh, has a long and interesting history it's what we call an ELT uh, which is an extremely large telescope Uh, the original plan was that this telescope would have a mirror 100 meters in diameter and it was going to be called OWL and OWL stood for the overwhelmingly large telescope. I was going to so, say
0: outrageously large. But yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> overwhelmingly so, is good too.
1: Yeah, the, the, that um, the, basically they realised that that would have an overwhelmingly large price tag, and so uh, uh, probably a, uh, almost a decade ago now, I think it was it was downsized, uh, but it still will be by far the biggest telescope in the world. It will have a mirror, 39 metres in diameter, which is um, actually I think three metres. Bigger than the diameter of the dome of our Anglo Australian telescope. That's just. In, in, uh, yeah, in, in near Coonabarabran in, in New South Wales. Uh, now, a 39 meter diameter mirror, of course, this is a dished mirror. It's made very precisely. It's, uh, the, the biggest error on it is measured in basically the size of atoms rather than, rather than in millimeters or anything. Uh, but you, you can't make one, uh, a solid piece of no. glass or a glass ceramic material, which is what these mirrors are made of. You can't make one that diameter. So what they do, um, and this has already been done for telescopes uh, up to about 10 metres in size, you make them of what are called uh, segments. You segment the mirror, you use hexagonal pieces of this glassy material and you butt them all together uh, so that you've got effectively a, conti- uh, a contiguous glass surface. Mm. Um, and you the, the, the clever bit is that you keep them in place by computer-controlled actuators so that they maintain these hexagons in exactly the right uh, position relative to one another. And that position is maintained no matter where the telescope is pointing because, of course, uh, as it moves around, gravity changes its dimensions.
0: Does, does having such a large mirror made up of such small pieces or smaller pieces affect its accuracy or its ability? Um, no, they don't actually, that's a good question and um, because the,
1: the gap between these segments is virtually nothing, there is a tiny gap, it means that you've got effectively a, continu- a continuous surface uh, and because of the efficacy of these computer controlled actuators to, to keep the mirror segments in place, uh, you, can, you can effectively duplicate um, what would be a solid glass mirror. Uh, there are slight artifacts that you would get caused by the boundaries of the of these hexagons, but uh that's you know that 's uh, a small price to pay for the fact that you can make a mirror thirty nine meters across mm. the big price to pay well these these um these hexagonal segments are uh about well they 're exactly one point four meters across uh, 140 centimeters which means they're actually each segment is bigger than uh, the diameter of one of our telescopes at Siding Spring the UK Schmidt telescope which has a a lens diameter 1.2 meters in diameter Uh, so each one of these segments 1.4 meters 1.4 meters across five centimeters thick which means they're actually slightly flexible and that gives you another level of control because you can actually bend them slightly with these actuators to to maintain the perfection of the of the shape of the glass but the the price you pay for all this is that okay that's one segment 1.4 meters across the telescope has 798
0: segments like that and Uh, how how many of them have they made so far because that's why it's in the news the big news is that they've made six. Six, it's actually,
1: they, they've, they've cast six. They cast haven't six. yet done the optical fabrication. So this is the casting.
0: This seven, is just seven hundred and ninety-two to go.
1: A, well, actually, it's rather more because they've got. Um, I Spares? think they yeah, they're they're doing more than nine hundred altogether, um, and that's so that you've got seven hundred ninety-eight for the mirror, and a spare set of uh, actually hundred. 133, and that is in order to give you some reassurance that if anything goes wrong, you've got spare mirrors. But also, because you have to recoat these mirrors, you you what we call illuminise them. We do that um, at uh, Siding Spring with our big telescope mirrors, and so you might want to be in a situation where you can you can actually recoat the mirrors, uh, you know, one batch at a time, groups whilst- 100 or something. Yeah, well, that's right, while well, not losing time on the telescope. Yeah. So uh, really big stuff. Uh, the, the important work starts uh, when they start doing the optical surfacing of these mirrors, but they are talking about ramping up to one segment per day when, when, the, when the production process is, is fully up to speed. So you know that so would it's be, still going to
0: take a couple of years at full yeah, tilt to get these still things made. a couple made. of years. That's, wow, that's, right. that's just exactly. incredible. Well, we'll watch with interest, but there'll be more to tell on this story. I just can't imagine what the price tag would be on this thing.
1: It's, um, it's of order, it's well over a billion euros. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, it's, um, it's, Which is it's, like
0: several thousand billion Australian dollars, yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> that's right. It's a lot of money, and that's why... Uh, in fact, there are three ELTs planned. This is the biggest of them. The other two ones being built, well, the other two are being built by American-led consortia. We are involved with one of them, actually, a thing called the GMT, the Giant Magellan Telescope. They are all smaller than this one uh, and have pr- proportionally smaller price tags. Uh, but yeah, it's a it's a big process. We don't envisage there being more than three extremely large telescopes in the world because they're so expensive.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, and of course. Um They may one day down the track uh, have a crack at that 100-metre telescope if anyone wants to foot the bill, and they're going to call that the FLT.
1: (laughs) Well, I think that's the phenomenally large
0: telescope.
1: (laughs) Probably Nobody will be able to spell by then.
0: (laughs) (laughs) One would hope not. All right, uh, we'll um, have more on that story down the track, I'm sure. You're listening to Space Nuts with Andrew Dunkley and Fred Watson. Roger, you're here also. Space Nuts. Finally, Fred, the incredible growing man, a Japanese (laughs) Japanese astronaut who's been in space for three weeks has sent out a tweet saying he's grown nine centimetres in height. Now, we do know, because we've discussed this before, that people do grow in space, Uh, not like a human grows on Earth as they're growing up, but because of zero-g, they loosen up a bit, I guess. But nine centimetres yeah it's a bit over the top isn't it he um so you're quite right uh,
1: that when you you know when your body is not subject to the earth's gravity uh, what happens is your vertebrae space out they 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 become more relaxed so the individual vertebrae in your spine uh, are not compressed together and it spaces out and you grow a bit uh, and you measure your length and you realize you've grown but that's kind of usually measurable over the six months of a of a space flight on the International Space Station in three weeks to grow by nine centimetres, which is sort of four times more than the average amount of growth. That's extraordinary. This mm. is a um, an astronaut, a uh, Japanese astronaut, uh, Nor- Norishige Kanai. Uh, he uh, basically made some rough-and-ready measurements uh, uh, after he's been in, in on mission for three weeks. He, his original tweet was, Good morning, everybody. I have a major announcement today. We had our our bodies measured after reaching space, and wow, 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 I had actually grown by as much as nine Um, centimetres. Listen, um, (laughs) someone should have
0: told him to take the helmet off.
1: Well, maybe that was it. (laughs) Um, Yeah, but but apparently um, because the... The, the boss of the of the space station, the commander, who's uh, Russian um, uh, uh, Anton Shlapunov, he was sceptical. So they made uh, they made another measurement, and it's come down to two centimeters. Uh, he's he's uh, sent out a lovely tweet saying, "I'm very I'm very sorry for tweeting out such fake news." Still, two um,
0: centimeters is a pretty impressive. Um, it, it is. Growth. That's right. Would, would you In, feel if, that? Would you notice it? Um,
1: I suspect with you know with all the other conflicting sensations that you get because of being weightless. You probably wouldn't really notice yeah. that. But um, the, the, the reason why his original tweet attracted attention, though, Andrew, was because there was a good chance that if he'd grown by nine centimetres, he wouldn't be able to fit into the seat of the Soyuz spacecraft oh. that was going to- bring him back to earth and so he was a bit worried about this he was actually worried he was never going to come back down <laughs> to earth because he'd grown by by nine centimeters well they just big. have
0: to build him a new <laughs> Sawyer's and send it up there in a you know five or six years time maybe that that's right mm. uh, but or anyway, chop, chop it, his feet off
1: yeah or other surgery something of that sort but uh, the the fact that it's uh, it's just a mistake it probably relieved him a lot very relieved
0: yeah very <laughs> um, relieved I'm guessing they'd have to allow for this too when they're um, working out the transport of astronauts to and from places like this. They'd have to account for these levels of growth, wouldn't they?
1: Yes, I think that's right. I mean, you know, to some extent, uh, you can you can squash somebody into a seat, but uh, the the fact that you're your vertebrae are more relaxed and you're basically, you've grown, your spine has actually grown. It wouldn't be that easy to to crumple yourself up to to fit in the seat, especially if you were three and a half inches taller uh, or nine centimetres. Look, I think I
0: know what happened. No disrespect, but physiologically Japanese people are technically a lot shorter than most other people around the world. So he was dreaming. He was basically, you know, it was wishful thinking, wishful thinking.
1: Actually, he's quite tall. He's 182 centimetres. Oh, damn. So there goes yeah. that theory. <laughs> so that, that, throw that theory away right now. Yes,
0: indeed. All right. Well, OK, two centimetres, still an impressive uh, growth span in such a short period of time, but uh, yeah, not nine centimetres as originally reported. But um,
1: He's doing pretty well. Yeah. And
0: how much longer is he up there?
1: Uh, it'll be, th- these are normally six-month stints, so I think he'll be he'll be up there for a few well, months. Well, maybe
0: here. it'll be nine centimetres by the time. By the end of it, yeah, you never know. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll watch this space. Boom, boom. Uh, Fred, thank you as always. It's a great pleasure. Thanks for coming back this year. I wasn't sure, uh, but, um, you know, I'm glad you did. <laughs> I, I made it, and you did
1: too. And we'll talk again very soon.
0: Indeed. Uh, Fred Watson from the Australian Astronomical Uh Observatory there we are see I'm rusty too after a couple of weeks off. Uh, and as always, thank you for listening. Tell your friends um, share us on Facebook and, um, and and spread us around on Twitter and tell everybody what we're doing and uh, yeah we'd love to have more people as a part of the, the crew. We consider you all part of our crew and ultimately we're going to build a spaceship for all 20,000 of you uh, and um, you know go and watch one of those blue horizons. Uh, during a full moon, from um, a, a, like a, a eclipse from the moon, looking at back at Earth. That's the plan. I don't know how long we've got. Fred will know, but we'll ask him next week. Thanks again for listening <laughs> to Space Nuts. I'm out of here. Space Nuts. You've been listening to the
1: Space Nuts podcast.
0: <laughs> Subscribe to the full podcast on iTunes, Boom and Stitcher, or your favorite podcast distributor.
1: This has been another quality podcast production from sites.com.